0: Welcome to episode number 51. I bet you guys weren't expecting to hear me this week. As you might know, we were expecting for this week's podcast to be coming to you from Shanghai, where Steve was going to sit down with Andreas from Cropster. We'd even ask you for some questions, and you guys could kindly send us some really interesting ones. But as luck would have it, or as Steve's luck would have it because he's really not had much luck with recording podcasts lately, his laptop pretty much exploded on the show floor in Shanghai about 20 minutes into his chat with Andreas. And unfortunately, both of them were so busy, they never got a chance to continue. We're hoping to find some more time with Andreas in the near future to record, so don't worry. You'll get your terrible innuendos about the rate of rise soon. Even though I rolled my eyes at Steve this week via text for managing to miss yet another podcast, I'm actually kind of happy we have a bit of a gap this week, because it means I get a chance to push my hostile takeover of Tamper Tantrum that little bit further. Today, I'm taking this opportunity to grab my favorite coffee lurker, Julie Hausch. You may think you don't know her, but chances are you're pretty familiar with her work. Julie tends to fly under the radar. She and I worked in coffee in D.C. around the same time, but we actually didn't meet until Vienna in 2012. But she's, in my opinion, been pretty integral to the development of the coffee industry as it currently exists. I'm sure she'll disagree with me, but I'll let her say it in person. Hey, Julie. Hi. Oh, God, I'm terrible at introductions. Sorry about that. No, it was great.
1: I was like, wow, I sound cool.
0: You do sound – you are pretty cool. I mean, you don't just sound cool, but that's, that's kind of my opinion on it. I don't know. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, Miss Coffee Lurker, why don't you tell us sort of like the high level of your coffee story?
1: Oh, where, uh, I guess I'll begin at the pre-beginning. Uh, I got into <laughs> coffee primarily because I was a staffer on Capitol Hill, and I was walking by what was murky coffee on Capitol Hill every day and popped in and was getting my vanilla lattes at the time. Um, <laughs> What year was this? Oh, I'm almost embarrassed to say that it's more recently than not. It was like 2007. Okay, um, yep. Yeah. But you know, over time, I was like, this coffee is actually way better than the other stuff I've been drinking, um, and so it became like religiously, what uh, a religious customer, I guess. And when Murky closed and Peregrine opened, uh, hung out a ton at the coffee shop still, and at some point, took a class at Countercultures Training Center in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, was like oh this is really awesome and they're like you can't take the intro to milk class unless you're actually a working barista and I was like I guess I have to become a working barista so (laughs) managed to convince Ryan Jensen to hire me um, at Peregrine and only I actually only ended up applying to Peregrine because I was so intimidated by Murky's application form (laughs) which I know is not Nick's intention but I was like I don't know how I feel about Napoleon Dynamite what's the right answer and so I never applied to Murky Oh, goodness. Um, and so Ryan hired me, I was a part-time barista and at some point in that tenure I was like realizing that I was way happier be- making coffee for people and interacting with people on that level than I was at interacting with constituents who were yelling at me about why aren't we abolishing the penny and why did my boss vote <laughs> this way uh, and was like I'm going to throw caution to the wind and give this coffee thing a try for a year uh, and see if I can make it work. And it's been six years now. Yeah, um, and so far, so good. And I, I, I still I still love politics, but I'm so happy that I found a home in coffee in a lot of ways. And from there. Um, you know, I I I've, I met Nick Cho, and he was like, one day, I was like, hey, I have a, I have someone who just might need a little help on the side, and that person happened to be um, Cindy Chang, now Ch- Cindy Ludvigson, and Cindy's like... <laughs> just somebody. Yeah, well, someone really important who, at the time, I was like, yeah, I think I've heard of this before, and um, what's the WBC? And so I helped Cindy out a little bit, and um, then Cindy's like, can you come to Columbia with me to help run a judges <laughs> workshop? And... From there, yeah. kind of has it snowballed into a job with uh, World Coffee Events, essentially, where I spent three years. And after that, uh, I then segued over to Intelligentsia Coffee in Los Angeles for two years as a wholesale educator. And then, um, more recently, for the past six months, I've been working for the SCAA uh, as an executive assistant, and that's where I'm right now. So,
0: yeah, it's it's quite the path, isn't it? it, it it's still so funny to me that like we've run sort of in similar circles, but didn't meet until sort of much further along that journey. But we've also had sort of similar coffee career paths as well. And, yeah. um, it's just, it's, it's just really funny to me. Cause I remember Nick Cho. So like when I worked in that sort of area, like Nick Cho, like I, I didn't ever try to apply for murky coffee. Like I was in Annapolis, I yeah. couldn't get to DC, but I just remember Nick being the customer that came in and like, was really scary like you were like you saw his face and you were like oh no not this guy again he's just he's gonna rip my espresso to shreds this is gonna be so unpleasant
1: (laughs) I'm gonna hear about it later
0: yeah and it was always just this constant thing I think I was I think I was actually around for like dick punch and like that that became like a hot topic of conversation behind the bar while I was at Cafe Pronto and yeah. it's yeah. just. I, and I, I didn't start going to Peregrine until after I actually left D.C. and was in Chicago. And then I would come home and go to Peregrine whenever I was in because I, I started an internship there. And so I think I had just missed you. I think you had just start, I think you were already working for WCE then. And so it's just so weird. And then I met you, of course, in Vienna. And that was, Yeah. you know,
1: it's so weird because actually I've, I've run into a couple more people too who are like Ali Raber, who works for Ernex now. Um, mm-hmm. I worked with her a little bit at Intelligentsia, and, and she lives in New York now, but she literally worked down the street from that Peregrine at the same exact time, and was like, oh, I, I wanted to Peregrine, and I was like, we never met, like, and it blows my mind, and yeah. Who else? There's someone else. Samantha Barron, who works for Intelligentsia up in the Bay Area, like, she went to American University, was, like, working at Dolceza with their coffee program, and I was like, why don't we yeah. have a frame of reference for one another? And it bums me out, but then, at the same time, I also met so many people in D.C. in the coffee industry that are now everywhere. It's kind of awesome where you'll run into people on the street here, because I, I live in L.A. now, and I'll be like, wait... I know you. Where do I know you from? Or it's (laughs) it's so crazy. So I don't know. That's what I love about coffee. (laughs) Oh, well, when I met you, you were, you
0: were no longer behind the bar. You were, um, you were running Vienna. Like it was crazy. Vienna was, I, was that the first time that all of the competitions were under one roof?
1: I think so. Oh, I'm not even sure if I can remember, but yeah, I think, yeah, I know because I remember going to Vienna we were like, how is this going to work? Like, how can we be it in like four or five places at once? Like, fingers crossed. Things don't explode. Like,
0: you were the lady with the schedules and the name tags <laughs> and like everything. And I remember, so I think, oh gosh, I think the first time I actually met you actually probably would have been before VN. I think there was a WCE summit going on in Dublin and yeah. 3FE had been hosting a dinner and um, as you know what usually happens. like I just remember this this lovely lady coming up to me and saying like thank you for all the hard work you've put in and I was sitting there like completely dumbfounded and had to look at Pete Williams and I was like what just <laughs> happened and he was like oh that's Julie she she figures <laughs> out who does all of the behind the scenes work and then thanks them for their time because she's awesome because that's what she does and I was like oh okay <laughs> well I'd heard
1: about you too and, and also I think someone had said I mean maybe it was Nick who's like oh you should know Jen and stuff and so I'm like how do I talk to someone who I think is really awesome who does appear to also probably (laughs) does what I do in a lot of ways where you're like we just sit behind the scenes and make things look awesome um, or try our best you know so it's like
0: yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) like fan of the spreadsheets and fan of the I remember getting schedules from you that were just incredible and we ended up sort of like syncing up with the schedules because that was the first international tamper tension we'd ever run and it was just it was so nice and I think there was that fun park in Vienna and oh yeah I was not brave enough to go with you guys, but you guys apparently had a blast, I think. Oh, yeah.
1: I dragged Maria um, Hill to it, and she's like, we're friends because I'm letting you take me on this death trap of a swing set. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, this is so awesome. (laughs) So, yeah, Vienna was awesome. Yeah, I remember poor tamper tantrum, too. I remember being like, I'm really sorry, because, like, what, our AV didn't quite work out, and I'd swing by just to try to catch some of the talks, too,
0: Yeah, there was like what is it? Steve refers to it as the lost files because I guess what happened was there wasn't any recording actually done. So the recordings that we ended up getting were the audio stripped from the live stream. But that was at the time when we were live streaming stuff because we were still working with World Coffee Events yeah. and they had that sort of capability and like they were interested in live streaming it and yeah, it was definitely it was definitely different. Um but it was it was fun like cuz I got to meet you and actually spend time with you then and you know, did the Vienna things which was, you know, eat sauerkraut and sausage really oh my
1: gosh I, I love to Vienna so much but the food I was like <laughs> just don't think of it as a high culinary point
0: I also don't think either of us had very much time to get out and eat anything beyond whatever was it like the little kiosk outside much of the time because it was just it was absolute chaos oh yeah from what I remember
1: that and like everyone was like we have to go eat schnitzel and so I, I think I ended up at the famous schnitzel place like two or three times <laughs> I was just like it's just yeah. too much schnitzel <laughs> <laughs> like it's as big as a plate and you're like I can't eat this can I can you save it for the next time I come in <laughs> so, No, Yep. Yeah.
0: and then I think from there like what I remember most was I actually when I When I was getting ready to move to California, I transitioned into a role with World Coffee Events. And you were sort of my go-to person. You were essentially my boss, um, which I thought was really fun and awesome at the time. (laughs) I I couldn't imagine a better boss then.
1: (laughs) We got to party.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And by party, I mean fill out certificates for all the competitors (laughs) that had ever participated in a competition ever. I know. Um, (laughs) know, That's probably why I was like,
1: I'm really sorry. Like, you have to do this. Thank you so much for helping out.
0: You were genuinely apologetic, pretty much 100 percent of the time.
1: Like <laughs> I was like, Julie, don't stop saying
0: I'm sorry. Like I do it all the time, but like, gosh, yeah. come on.
1: Well, and I think just there's just so many details that go into running the competitions or doing anything, running something like Tamper Tantrum that you're always kind of like, I'm really sorry that I'm having you do this one like tiny thing, and I wish I could give you a more exciting job, but this is what I have to do too. So yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it's always the nitpicky shit yeah. um <laughs> exactly. and then from there like we actually did get to work together because i came on board to world coffee events and that was really nice yeah. and then i think i i left before you did we left around the same time i think there is there was just both of us had opportunities sort of come up that were you know just yeah we said okay it's time to take a jump it's time to take a leap and um yeah. I don't know I, I remember being really excited about your opportunity cuz I I missed my whole like as much as I loved working for World Coffee Events like I was I was remote and I didn't get to interact with anyone really um outside of the the events which is when you're usually completely drained and just yeah. absolutely exhausted. You don't want to see anyone anymore. You're like I've just smiled at 54 competitors and you all are lovely and I'm so excited <laughs> to be here but don't talk to me anymore. Can I go take a um, nap
1: under this table now? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> can somebody please bring me some coffee? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. no. And, and that's the, and that was the fun, but the upside downside job is that you're like, I can do this job anywhere. But then you're like, most of the time, it's me sitting at my desk.
0: Yeah, um, by myself. spreadsheets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so no, so yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, I looked at intelligentsia more like, you know, it's a brand it's a company I always admired I had a bunch of friends who had either worked for them or who currently worked for them and stuff and I was like I've never worked for like an actual roaster um you know I worked at Peregrine and stuff like that but I was like this is too good of an opportunity it was based in LA where I had moved at the time and I was like it's an opportunity for me to be like work with other people and also even teach because I had taught a little bit with my involvement with Barista Guild but I was like this would be great to actually be able to get in there and be like this is how you make espresso and so it was it was fun so I was like I gotta I gotta get this out of my system in some ways and and go down this path as well too so
0: so it's really interesting that was a lovely segue by the way because I was just gonna say during this entire time where you are sort of working going from working behind the bar to you know doing sort of large-scale event planning and corralling all of these competitors and making like and not just WBC right which is 54 competitors um, but in Vienna in particular, like all of all of those competitions, which at least had what like 30 to 40 people. Um, and just being sort of the main point of contact and the smiley face who is like, and you were like, I was, I was so impressed because every time I turned around, you were like super cheerful and ready to help. And it was like, what can I do? And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm only managing 12 people and I want to shoot myself. Uh (laughs)
1: It's, it's because it's like, I love, I do love competitions at the end of the day. I'm never going to be a competitor, but I, I just, I do get excited about all these people who have come so far and worked so hard that. You know, even though I'm like, I've been here for four days straight, it's, it's really still energizing because this is your opportunity to be on stage in a lot of ways. And also just an opportunity to meet people where like, I would have never met baristas from Romania, from Austria, from Uganda and stuff like that. And so it's just like, let's, how do we make this the most awesome experience despite the fact that like, we've literally just rolled out a carpet and like plugged in some machines in this very temporary space for, you know, four or five days. I don't know. I still like it.
0: (laughs) no and and I think like every year I think about stage managing and will I do it again or can I do it again and and if you were to ask me a week after competition I would be like oh hell no yeah like that would never like I'm not doing that ever 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 again and by the time competition rolls around again I find myself being like but that was such an incredible experience to be a part of like that's such an exciting time for those people and like you get to be a part of that part of their experience, and that's pretty life-changing for them, and it's just super positive all the way around. And, yes, it's stressful, and, yes, it's really tiring, but it's also really incredible. And then I sign up to do it, and then I do it, and then I instantly regret it (laughs) for those four days where I'm just like, this is so stressful. Oh, my God. Yeah,
1: and I'm sure competitors feel that way too, where they're just like, at the end of the competition, you're almost like, and now I need a year off. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, I always come back, and I actually just stage managed again for – uh, the qualifying event in Kansas City yes. um, for the U.S., yeah. and it, it was good. And I think also if you can segment segment out your time and be like, okay, this is all I'm doing this time. Um, yes. Fortunately, yeah. like, Laura and Dana, or Laura and Dana, who work for SCAA, were really on the hook for most everything else. It's like, this is really, this isn't too bad. Like, they're still long days. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I still got roped back in, and I was like, but I met so many great baristas. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm
0: sure. You'll, I mean, especially in, in your current role now. But um, actually, sorry, we meant to segue and I didn't segue because oh, yeah. I got I got us hooked on talking about competition stuff yet again, because that's that's usually where you and I land. I think you, you and I are sort of like the competition junkies in the back who will probably never compete, yeah. but are always involved somehow. Yeah. Um, There's always a spreadsheet we can make, right? We're going make everyone's
1: lives a little bit easier, we hope.
0: You should see the spreadsheets I have for Dale's competition. I'm helping Dale um, prepare for UKBC, and it's like we have spreadsheets for everything, and it's all color coded. And
1: it's like, why am I doing this? Like, it makes me feel awesome. And like, yeah, yeah. that's our next um, podcast. We got to drag everyone else who's ever stage managed onto. Yes.
0: For sure, just like talk about all of the shit that happens behind the scenes. Where you're just like ripping your hair yeah. out because, like, the power has gone down on machine one, and water is overflowing somewhere else, and someone has swapped the baskets in machine three, oh, yeah. and now one competitor is working with two different size BST baskets. Yeah, so, yeah. let's let's mm, mm. Uh, yeah. We can <laughs> have
1: four. and then how many spreadsheets can you juggle at one time?
0: Exactly. <laughs> How many, how many things can you fit on a clipboard and still make use of it?
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I was, like, talking to Carly Curran uh, right before competition for the qualifying event. And I was like, how should yeah. I number these competitor tables again? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm really good at, at numbering things. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but
0: let let me be helpful.
1: <laughs> so but we'll talk about the present.
0: Um, well what I want to talk about actually is is that journey from um like so while you were doing all of this other stuff, you were you started out as just an attendee to Bristol Guild of America events and slowly but surely you sort of worked your way up into becoming chair, which was last year, was that?
1: Yeah, well technically yeah. I was past chair this last year. I'm almost done. Okay. It's the year before. Almost.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Time has flown faster than I thought it did. But, yeah, so you, you've gone from, you know, just being curious about Bristol Guild of America to becoming a member to becoming a member of the – is it a board you
1: guys have? Um, at the time, it we had chapter representatives that represented okay. – was it like 10 to 12 regions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so from there, I went – I got elected to, to be the Mid-Atlantic Chapter Rep, and from there, I, I jumped onto the Executive Council, which is kind of like mm-hmm. the BGA's board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and from there, I kind of threw my hat into the ring one year and was like, I want to be Vice Chair, um, which means that <laughs> means I'm signing up for not only Vice Chair, but Chair. But Chair and, and Past Chair. So I was like, that means that for the next three years, I know I know the bulk of my volunteer time is going to yep so it's been it's been good it's 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 been great to see it sort of evolve like from the chapter rep system which um i think was great and i look at all the people who were chapter reps and they're all individuals who've either gone on to join us on the executive council or who are just leaders in their own right but we've actually Mm -hmm. segued into a a committee system and so now we have three main barista guilds committees the Pathways Committee, which is our education, and so they consult and and help refine all of our classes and help mm-hmm. vet instructors and get people trained. And then we have um, the BGA Events Committee, which help kind of run our events. Primarily, it's focused right now on barista Camp, but you know, with Expo coming up, which I think we're going to talk about later on. You know, they help run yeah. the the TNTs. Um, you know, they also just help when we have a lecture. What the BGA Cafe that'll be at Expo? They help run that. And then we also have membership, which is kind of everything in between, where we're all members all the time, but they, we have some really <laughs> cool things coming out. Like, we have a membership map, so you can kind of really see where all our members are in the U.S. Uh, cool. Membership tables, just little outreach things like that. Our blog is totally uh, populated by our membership committee and stuff, too. So. Nice. But yeah. I think we've done some interesting things in my tenure we haven't blown up (laughs) and so yeah exactly it's
0: still standing (laughs) at the end of my time this thing still exists I guess that's the best I could have hoped for
1: I know it's like if anything we're still here so
0: yeah And it's, and I think, I think it's still very relevant. I mean, I see you guys doing things like Bloom and BGA Hay, and it feels like, you know, yes, there was a little bit of upheaval with the sort of like US competition circuit, but on the whole, you guys are constantly striving to, to deliver to your membership, which is really beautiful to see.
1: Yeah. I think it's that perpetual question of like, how, how do we make sure that everyone, you know, all our members are getting what they want and what they need and stuff too, and The fact that the United States is a huge geographical area, so it's like, I wish I could host a competition in everyone's, like, town, but that's not logistically possible, and then technically, even though we're the Barista Guild of America, you know, we also have a fair number of members um, around the world, too, so it's like, how do we satisfy that, so. uh,
0: Yeah. It's
1: been fun. It's been good. Are you you guys going
0: to drop the A? (laughs) (laughs)
1: I don't know Uh, see how this unification thing
0: goes (laughs) I don't I don't even know if I'm allowed to ask this question but there was a point in time where like so I was working with Bristol Guild of Europe as a member of the working group because we don't have an executive council and Julie was past chair I think at the time it was like so we're thinking about dropping the A do you guys want (laughs) to join us we were like whoa whoa (laughs) hostile takeover no um uh, but, yeah, I, I just remember thinking, like, it, it does make sense, though. You guys have a membership that is far beyond, like, it's outside of America. The same way that Barista Guild of Europe has a membership that's outside of Europe. And it's just, we do have these delineations that seem to be a bit silly at the minute. But at the same time, it, it's also hard to let go of them, I think, sure. too. Because, like, an identity is so built around that. Um.
1: Yeah, I was like hey, New <laughs> Zealand Barista Guild. I don't know. Well, so, you're outing me. I'm sure if I would have actually been in that room with you guys, I could have gotten it over the line. No, um. Yeah. <laughs> After a couple rounds of drinks, we could have voted. Yeah. yeah. And I think half the motivation was more um, from the fact that I think we have this mutual admiration, the, the BGA and the BGE yes. and, and even the New Zealand Barista Guild, um, where you kind of go, oh, you're doing some really cool stuff. And, like, it might be very similar things, but I was like, you know, we should just – if there's a way we can just join forces and rather than have – I know you guys at the time were – uh, I know you're no longer on the working group, but the Barista Guild of Europe at the time was writing their bylaws and figuring yeah, out like, how yeah. do we grow. And so it's like, well, just, just use our bylaws, you know? And, and so yeah. like, that's the boring <laughs> stuff. Like let's be able to work together and, and do all this fun stuff, which we continue to do. So that doesn't, you know, the fact that we're not yeah, one yeah, organization absolutely. doesn't preclude us from working together. And we've had yeah. some, I think some great conversations and, I know for the first BGE camp, Trevor Corlett, who was then yes. the chair, went over and gave a speech. And we're always looking for ways to plug in and and figure out how. Okay, get people over here to, with our stuff. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Like I remember some really fun ideas coming out of that, which and and, and which in true sort of like coffee industry fashion i don't know it's like you have the really good idea really close to what it needs to happen and so then it becomes a question of like well can you execute it in that amount of time and the answer inevitably is no yeah. and so then the idea sort of falls off the map but it was like where we were going to hook in brista camp so like your brista camp was happening around the same time ours was and we were thinking about trying to find a way to make them sort of like you know via skype or whatever but just sort of hook up together and that would have been really cool and it's mm-hmm. like actually i think in the end the dates didn't work or this didn't happen but yeah i I think there's definitely a lot of interest in, in continuing to build on that relationship and like I know I'm really sad this year that I'm not going like I'm not even a member of the working group anymore for <laughs> Bristol of but but I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to come to Expo and sort of you know see what you guys are doing or have the opportunity to to attend like a BGA camp because I feel like they're fairly similar but also fairly different yeah. and um yeah just that sort of that give and take is something that I miss a little bit after having Having said goodbye
1: to that organization, so yeah. Well, I mean, you are missing stuff. <laughs> they're coming up with a. Uh, there's we have a membership booth inside the competitions arena this year, and they're, uh Cool. On our trello board, we're talking about the bingo game, <laughs> which, <laughs> which on face is like it's kind of cutesy. Where we're always trying to get yeah. away from like, oh, it's so cute, baristas, but. At the same time that there's there's squares on the bingo card that I think are awesome because it's like you actually have to go find someone and talk to someone who's a roaster and yes and man, sort of, and also in camps in Palm Springs this year man oh <laughs> sunny sunny Palm
0: Springs <laughs> you're like I
1: hate the sun June
0: no I don't okay so I hated the sun. Now you miss when it. I moved to California, <laughs> and now I miss it because it doesn't really exist. Well, summer is, hasn't kicked in yet here, let's be honest, but yeah, I, I kind of miss the sun a little bit. I also miss ripe avocados. <gasps> That's kind of hard to find on this side of the ocean. It's travesty. Really. I, I have
1: four in my fridge. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I hate you. I actually hate you. Um... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you just have to come visit and smuggle them in your luggage. No. U.S. government, I did not just advocate that at all.
1: They're like, what are these things? They're kind of squishy. <laughs> like, oh man, that didn't work out.
0: No, no, no. Um, so with BGA, I mean, you've you've been there for a while. Not not to say that you're old. I'm yeah. not saying that at all. Um, but like, have like, and you said that you have seen some changes. But has there been anything in particular that that's really struck you about the way that BGA has grown? since you first started as a member? Or do you think it's really just down to the level of your involvement? Like the more you're involved, the more you get to see, the more you understand where things are going. And then it doesn't feel like it's that big of a shift because, you know, you've been there the whole time.
1: I sort of hope that's the case because I know we were chatting and I was like, <laughs> like I said, I was like, it didn't blow up. And and I feel like that's an accomplishment because I, yeah. I probably am so close to it that I'm like, we didn't do much. Like when I, when I joined the, the, the plan to do Barista Camp was already in motion, so I wish, you know, yeah. I could take credit for that. But that actually happened under Heather Perry and it was awesome, and I'm so so excited and stuff too. Uh and it's always been like, should I should we be trying to do some big thing that's like a hallmark? And this year I would say, you know, us having done Bloom, which we affectionately yeah. were calling the Todd Mackey event before we came up with the name. <laughs> because it was initially Todd Mackey, we were all trying to brainstorm being like, what do we do? And Todd's like, Well, I've seen this really cool event that I – not in coffee that we could try to emulate. And so that's where that came from. Yeah. And so I think that's awesome because it also came out of the – you know, with the competition, us saying we're not going to – the SCA saying we're not going to do regionals this year in the Mm -hmm. traditional sense was like, whoa, what do we do? And so it was like, well – actually like competitions what where's the value that there is an inherent value for competitions but yeah. uh, there's also just people look at it as an opportunity to go meet people and and connect and that's that's not exclusive to being a competitor and so how do we so bloom was sort of our answer to that of like yeah we'll do these things in satellite cities we did five cities and one main one main stage and it's a great excuse yeah. for us to come together and either meet people you already know from the community and have that excuse to hang out, which is also the idea behind BGA. Hey, but also just be able to talk about new ideas, which, you know, I don't think that has to be the exclusive domain of competitions either. And so, yeah, um, for sure. so I'm, I'm proud of that. I think, you know, that's come a long way as well too. And just, I think we're getting more and more organized, um, and just being able to do more things. So as people are like, why, why can't we connect more? It's like, that's where the idea of the map came from. And, um, yeah. you know, David Fastman is re- is sort of spearheading our blog and he- he's written some really great articles on like water and we're like anyone wants to write about any topic who's a member like we want you to like put it on the blog like let's let's have this conversation so I feel like that there's more ways to touch reach out and like not touch each other it sounds inappropriate <laughs> but <laughs> but that but that's actually like the end of the day barista guild wise I mean that's what gets me excited and even if it's like what's in it for me it's like actually that belonging. um, Yeah. Of like, I'm part of this larger thing. And so even if I never take advantage of reading the blog, even if I never, you know, take advantage of any discounts to go take classes or whatever, it's like, no, I'm part of this organization, though, that stands for the professionalization of being a barista. And I think that to me is like, I don't know, I I will always be a barista guild member, even if um, my official capacity expires. And you know, even as if like I hope I, I continue to advance my career because I still consider myself to be a barista and I think it's so powerful to support that profession.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every yeah, every time I've gotten to talk to you about sort of Bristol guild so I think that's actually what got me into wanting to work with Bristol guild of Europe. Was listening to you sort of wax poetic a little bit about Bristol of America and and what it's doing and how you feel about it and and i think it is it's something that we're starting to see a lot more like obviously with the creation of barista guild of europe and you know new zealand has been around for a long time but i think we're starting to see more and more sort of baristic groups pop up and in some ways yeah it'd be really nice if we could all just come together and have a little bit of a love in and truly connect people globally you know i don't mean that in a bad way That's I mean I, I know Julie. <laughs> i know um, but just, yeah, just to, to really connect people globally. Because right now, the only time I really get a chance to connect with people that way is at competition. And that is kind of limiting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so, yeah, I, I really love the idea that one day there might be sort of a global Brista organization where, yeah, there's there's a way to connect. Um,
1: yeah. It'd be, it'd be difficult
0: logistically, but I think it would be impressive.
1: Just a big Google hangout. Yeah. And I think people discount that <laughs> a little bit. Like, well, I've got some yeah. people who live in areas with really strong communities as well. But even then, like I just hosted a BJ Hey in LA and it was really cool to like, we had about 20 people show up who are all members for the most part. And it was like, wow, I never hang out with you guys. Like, because we're always always working and stuff too. And it was pretty awesome. And that to me is the power of like, just being able to stand there and be like, hey, we have this common denominator and we're all kind of awesome. That, that yeah. connectivity, so.
0: Yeah. So Expo this year, you're not chair of BGA anymore. You're not really helping anyone prepare for competition the way you have been when you were working in Intelligentsia. You're not stage managing. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was like, go hang out in Atlanta. No, I wish. <laughs> We were talking about this earlier. I, I know it feels really weird. Um, I have responsibilities. Like, uh, I will be. I my my calendar is full. I'm attending virtually all the events on the schedule of events for, SCAA yeah. and stuff. And, but, I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I'm excited. What? I'm excited for Rico. I've been hearing some stuff on the barista side of what the coffee service is gonna look like. Cool. Uh, and the topics. And then we're also doing – we're bringing uppers and downers to the expo this year.
0: Super cool. So
1: yeah. this is this is a big deal, not only, I think, for the show, but also as a, doing a show or something in America. Like, people always ask, like, why don't you do Coffee and Good Spirits competition? Yes. And it's, yeah. I was like, it's because we live in a very puritanical society and trying to find a way to serve alcohol at events. Like, even if yes. it's like, here's a tiny sip um, – it's so many, there's so many hoops to jump through and like so much yeah. liability insurance to get. So they've managed to work it out this year. So beer, coffee, beer, and I think uh, also they've they've allowed the expo uh, vendors to serve alcohol. So I'm looking forward to swinging by the Marco booth. <laughs> not getting your pint of Guinness. Yeah, at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but that'll be cool. And then uh, we have some design stuff going on and then the whole U.S., Uh, coffee championships hall and stuff too. So the Barista Guild will be there. So, There's so many things. So I'll be everywhere and I will probably, I was joking, um, but I think it's probably serious where I'll be like, can I help you like do something? (laughs) Like do you need me to like dump this bucket of water? Like, can I go, you know? So I'll be lurking around again being like, I want to, I want to help out more. (laughs) It is a thing.
0: Like I had, I think my first, My first ever show not being there to help a competitor or to run a competition or anything would have been London Coffee Festival last year. Mm -hmm. And we're coming up on London London Coffee Festival again this year. And so this is why it's sort of been at the forefront of my mind. And I remember just walking in and being like, I don't have anything to do. I don't have a clipboard. (laughs) I don't have a spreadsheet. I feel entirely uncomfortable with the situation and, and and spending very little time there. And and it ended up just sort of like lurking in nearby venues where meetings were happening, where I could help like hold cuppings and, you know, like, like, you know, just get stuff ready for that. Or, um, because I was just so unholy uncomfortable with the idea that I didn't have a purpose. Yeah. I'm like Um, juggling
1: 20 things.
0: Yeah. I was like, this is really uncomfortable. And then I think for me as, as soon as, I didn't have anything to do. I noticed exactly how many people there were there. And I was like, oh, no, 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 this is not working for me. Yeah,
1: I know. So it's like, well, I, I have one, one very narrow focus this year, so to speak. And and so yes. not, not having to, like, manage a bunch of people means that I'm like, what? So we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah. So right now you're you're in a fairly different role um, compared to, I'd say, what what most coffee people assume would be a coffee role when they come into coffee. Like I know when I started, it was just sort of like, you can be a barista, you can be a roaster, like there's some education stuff happening, but that's that's pretty much it. Like you'd have to work for many, many years to become a green buyer or to get involved with an organization like SCAA or SCAE, like it's either you have to have a background in something that's. So totally different. Like they need you for your marketing skills or your communication skills, or you know, you just work in coffee forever before you sort of shift out of that role. Mm -hmm. Um, and now you're in you're in a role that is like totally different. And and not only that, but there are lots of people who are just now starting in coffee who have this like complete wide range of different roles available to them. Like, I think our definition of what it means to be a professional in the coffee industry is rapidly sort of expanding. I know Um, know. I'm so (laughs) jealous. I mean what do you what do you think of that is that is that something that is this a role that you ever thought you would sort of land in as a coffee
1: professional? No well (laughs) like a quick aside about this too so my official title is executive assistant Um, and so that basically means I work uh, directly with the executive director of SCA, which is Rick Reinhart right now, and also some of the senior directors, so Cindy Cohn and Peter Giuliano. Um, and a lot of it is just kind of wrangling schedules and stuff, too. But I joke, it dawned on me recently that I I got my start in politics. Like, uh, I got my political science degree. I worked on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress. I've done all that stuff. And right before I left to, to embark upon my coffee career, um, they had offered me a job in my office And they wanted me to be scheduler. And that basically was, you know, you work with a member um, and you you schedule things and make sure that they can get on the plane back to their home state. And if anything goes wrong and you're the one who pokes your head in and goes, your 10 minutes is up. And it's your responsibility to also know where your boss is at any given time. And I totally yeah. didn't want that job. They're like, you would work, you would be great in this style. And I was like, no, I want to, I wanted to do policy work and all this stuff. Like I was, I'm a political scientist. I'm not, you know, I'm not like a secretary or whatever. And, yeah. and so I turned the job down and took this other job and in the office and <laughs> totally got burnt out. Like coffee became this lucrative thing. And so it totally, I was like shocked when I was like, I've actually come entirely full circle where I'm essentially mm-hmm. a scheduler for my boss. But I'm in coffee, so I'm just constantly surrounded by these topics that I'm super, super passionate about, like from start to finish, as opposed to on Capitol Hill, you're like, I'm talking about uh, funding, you know, a new road, which is important, but then I'm like, not as passionate about funding a new road as I am about like, let's talk about like producers and coffee and women and coffee and stuff too. So I find it super ironic that I've come full circle, but that maybe, you know, this is the role I was meant to be in, but... <laughs> that, uh, back to your point about how there are so many more roles. Like not only, you know, are there little there's even more opportunities. I think within you know the wholesale coffee side of things, where before it was mm-hmm. like you're a barista, you're a manager, you're a coffee shop owner, or you're actually just roasting. Um, yeah, you know the fact that so many coffee companies are adding and bulking out their their roles, where you know you can you can work on sustainability topics. I think of like Meredith Taylor um, and then mm-hmm. Kim Elena Bullock who uh, or INSQ and like who used to do that job at counterculture and I think of at Topeka Coffee they have an SCA education campus and so they teach all day and Sarah Leslie does the same role for Irving Farm and it's like that's so cool because I just had no idea when I started and so yeah and you go outside of that and I'm like you could you could work for Grounds for Health you could work for CQI and like yeah what Kimberly Kimberly Easton is like the the person who's heading up their gender initiative and like, that's a job or like Tracy Ging, who is, who's starting to like, you know, she was director of sustainability for a while and now she's working with wool cafe on some new marketing and sales stuff. So I don't know. I was like, You guys have it so lucky because, and I try to tell every barista, because, you know, a lot of times baristas will be like, so what do I do? Or like, I really want to do this thing. Or where do I go next? And it's like, what are you passionate about? You know, are you passionate about healthcare? Are you really passionate about, uh, even like if you're passionate about things like efficiency, it's like that, there's a job for you. It's like, you can make this workflow better. And, um, you know, do you just want to build beautiful coffee shops? Like, that's also a job. And so yeah so jealous <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yet I mean it is I, th- I almost feel like if I had been in the same position like if I had just started in coffee I would be overwhelmed by the choice as well it's, it's like I, I think to a certain extent there's also this feeling of like so right now the reason why this has been a lot on my mind is because I'm working with some presentations um I'm working with Charlotte and Taylor on their presentations for Antwerp, and one of the things we sort of touch on in both of them, in um, Charlotte's a little bit more overtly than in Taylor's, is this idea of, you know, the multiplicity of career paths that are available now, and like what it means to to take a, a path that is slightly less traveled, or yeah. what it means to carve out your own path. Um, and like one of the things that Charlotte has sort of said to me as we've been talking about this that has really resonated is that. Like, there's this idea of finding, a, like, thinking about really deeply what matters to you and what's important to you, and then finding that niche within coffee if coffee is what you're passionate about to start with, and yeah. how you can do that now in a way that you couldn't before. Um, and I think that idea is so overwhelming that if I were just coming into this now and I had no idea sort of what that was, but all I knew was that I wanted to be in coffee is that there's so many different options and I'd be worried about choosing the wrong one or spending time sort of devoting my life to a different area um, and then finding out that actually, no, this is not what I want to do. I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really fascinating, but I also think it's really cool that that's happening as well. Yeah. Um, it's just nice to see the industry growing and it, it, you know, as much as we're all talking about sustainability, like maybe this is one way to ensure sustainability of our industry, but maybe it's also one way that, you know, it could go the other way, you know, it, it could be, yeah. could be a bit scary. Um, there's, there's so many people who want to be involved and there's not enough jobs, you know, mm-hmm. um, at what point do we sort of burn out the resources, the natural resource of coffee that we have?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. The bigger picture, the bigger reality and stuff too. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, I think it's hopeful, you know, it's like we're not, we are pretty far down, like on that bigger picture scale down the road of like, there are irreversible things that are existing in the world that we all, we base our livelihood on, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. there are so many people who, who want to make it better, you know, who, who can, who can agree on this thing. It's not as it's not a divisive issue by any means. It's like they just had the what the ICO meetings and the World Coffee Congress in Ethiopia and mm-hmm. they were exactly talking about these co- topics of sustainability of, you know, gender, gender initiatives and stuff too and so yeah. Yeah. And then I mean I think to the specific point of like being overwhelmed by the option, I think that's that's also the the beauty of the coffee industry is that no person started out being like I am going to be president of this coffee company. It's like you start <laughs> out as a barista yeah. and it's so trial and error. And like talking to people who've been in the coffee industry for five years, 10 years, 20 years, longer, it's, that's, that's, that to me is the underlying theme of like, you know, no one, no one really telegraphs out exactly where, where the road takes them. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people, you know, you fail and over and over again and and it's that, it's because you care so much about coffee and what you're doing that you just continue on the path and yeah. and so i think that that permission to fail is important mhm
0: for sure and it's
1: you know it's like it, and also i think in our world of social media it's it's that you don't have the answer right away like you know or you said something and you were wrong and so you're forever wrong it's like we can be sometimes really unforgiving and it's more that you know maybe maybe you messed up maybe you got fired from that one job but that doesn't mean that Um, you know you're not hireable or that you maybe just haven't found the right role and at the same time like I also don't want to malign the fact that I think there's something super valuable and in being able to create a space where you could be a barista forever yeah and so it's not you don't have to you don't have to be like I have to grow and and continue or you should always grow but you shouldn't always be like I have to not be a barista because that's such an entry-level position and there's there's honor and there's, there's utility. And there's also like some people find a calling in being a barista, um, or being a manager. And a lot of times we're like, Oh, I'm just a barista. I'm just a manager. And you're like, no, that's awesome. Like I know people who kill it as managers, like who I'm like, I want you everywhere. If I can just take you around and always have you on my team because you know how to make people happy and keep them moving. And like, Yes. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And so, I don't know. It's a big, it's a big topic. So
0: I want to actually go back to something that you mentioned sort of while we're having this discussion about careers which is which is sort of the impact of social media um and i joke about you being a lurker but you you kind of are a lurker there too like you're not super active on social media but you read a lot and like i know that because like you know you and i have this sort of relationship where we constantly ping each other about like (laughs) oh did you see that thing or did you see this thing or what do you think about this and like you know i think there are a lot of people in the industry who have really valuable opinions but some of them don't ever really speak up about them um like, yeah. what keeps you from <laughs> from putting those out there? Because you're someone who has a wealth of experience. You've done lots of different things within the coffee industry. You've played some pretty important roles like you were very active like you said sort of from a political standpoint and in issues of um like looking at things that really you're really passionate about and being able to be involved in that at the level that you are but I don't ever see sort of a lot coming from you on social media and I'm not saying I expect that from you but it's just like the person that I know and the person I spend time with and I talk to is very different from the person that I see reflected in social media and as we all sort of know <laughs> right now, like social media and coffee is kind of a big deal. It is like, it, what do you mean? It's all about this personal branding.
1: <laughs> like, and everyone looks at my social media. You just eat snacks a lot. And, um, <laughs> hashtag daily
0: yeah, snacks exactly. and hashtag daily yellow and donuts. Yeah, all the donuts.
1: Well <laughs> the donut. The donuts is Maria's thing, and I'm just like, I love. I will eat any sweets. Like you put a dessert in front of me, and I will probably not say no. Um. Yeah. Between that and like, oh, I also retweet things from Hamburger Helper, and so I tend to. Yes. I, I feel bad because so many people will follow me on Twitter, and I'm like, I, I talk about how angry I get on trains and airplanes. <laughs> I, I rarely talk about coffee, and I'm like, oh. So I'm like, how do I how do I talk more about coffee? But I'm also not afraid. But a lot of times it's like I don't I don't have three hours to get into the, the Twitter debate, mm-hmm. and my other fear is that. I, whereas, I, well, I, I never want to like, I don't want to silence other people if I were mm-hmm. to wade into an argument. So I, I, I want to hear everything everyone has to say and and have that conversation. So maybe I need to engage in it more. But at the same time, I'm also wary of like, oh, well, she's made that statement. And so that's that's Julie's area. Um, and mm-hmm. so she can never go beyond that that opinion or, you know, we can never have like that larger question as well, too, which... In particular is also, it's kind of my women in coffee stance where it's like, oh, yeah. I, we have a lot of, I have a lot of conversations with you, with, with other um, people offline a lot about it, but I'm like, yes. I'm very nervous about waiting in and voicing my own opinion because I, I don't think it's like a, it's not a, a one post and then I'm done. I think it's a conversation. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I I love reading everyone else's opinions. <laughs> like I read every <laughs> single thing and I'll be like, Has, have you read that? Everyone's like. I'll send you the link.
0: it's It's a funny thing and there's been a lot of writing about it recently and like it's I, it's definitely prompted sort of a flurry of back and forth between you and I recently because I'm very much in the same boat it's something I think about um, sort of putting out let's say a statement on um, and to a certain extent like I've made some pretty strong statements here on Tamper tantrum's podcast in the past but like mm-hmm. most of it has been me in the, in the background sort of talking to Colin and Steve about like why they shouldn't ask the question like the minute we have a female guest on like yeah. why they should ask the, the women in coffee question why you should let someone else bring it up first and like why they should stop making jokes about women in coffee breakfast and like yeah. I'm I'm pretty passionate about it but very quietly and behind the scenes like I like I am I'm scared of, of sort of joining in that conversation because I don't want to negate anyone else's um sort of experience it by by like sort of putting my own forward or you know just sort of Intimate that there's only one way to deal with this, which there isn't there's there's like there's a gamut of experiences that people have when it comes to Like women in coffee and being a woman in coffee and then you know There's also a gamut of experiences in terms of how people would like to see it resolved and I think it's also particularly hard because Women it's 50% of the population. It's a pretty broad term. It encompasses a lot of people (laughs) um like, no we're
1: all not the same I mean
0: exactly um all of us have different needs and and wants and desires and I think it's kind of hard to lump it on uh, all under one spectrum yeah I yeah
1: and so and also think I mean with the social media aspect it's like usually when you want to talk about issues and like you need a safe space and social media tends to be one and, and the internet tends to be one of the least safe spaces ever. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. how do you clear that? How do you clear it out so that we do have a safe space to have that dialogue where people don't end up feeling attacked? Um, and, and we even talked about it, too, to your point about, like, we shouldn't always yeah. have this woman in coffee conversation just because we're women. We talked about, like, this isn't a – do we talk about this during the podcast?
0: Yeah. Do we not talk about it? Or – yeah. Uh, what, what do you need – like – you say safe space, but like what, what would be a safe space? I feel like the women in coffee debate, or even just sort of like talking about feminism or sexism, misogyny, or any of these things, like people, it's, it's such an emotional topic. Um, And some people have had such terrible experiences and other people have had the reverse, you know, maybe they, they have, they feel like they've never experienced it or it's not a big deal. Um, And that in the end, it's really hard to, to construct that safe space where everyone feels like, they're not being attacked because it is so personal and so emotional. Like, do you think it's actually possible to create that space?
1: I think, I think so, but I think it is more likely to happen offline. And so Layla, Layla Wilbur organized the coffee woman discussion while we're in Kansas Mm -hmm. city. And I think it was a step in a great direction, you know, to at least start coalescing, uh, I guess bringing people together rather. Um, Mm -hmm. and being able to ha- just be in a room and so maybe it's not necessarily the conversation that happens at the panel which I, I although I thought both panels were really fascinating but I think it's also the outcome it's like the fact that not that you have permission to but hey I can look around the room and see that you know all these sympathetic faces and so it putting a face all, a lot of times too to a discussion helps encourage that later on yeah um or just so I can take it back and, you know, oh, I want to reach out to so-and-so because I thought they had a really good perspective or point, or we can continue to build on this as well, too. Um, and also, I mean, I think the other the other part where it sort of touches a nerve for me when people speak out is that I think it's good because I don't think, I don't, I think if a thousand more tweets were ever published and five million more posts were published, I'd, I still don't think it would reach everyone that needs to be reached about like, Hey, you're, you're, you need to, you know, women should be more front and center. There should be at least something closer to parity for women in coffee. Um, I, so it's like, continue to do it. And I want to encourage people to do it. But at the same time, I, I like to think that what we do and, you know, what a lot of the women that I know who work in coffee as well are doing is they're working on it behind the scenes a little bit and I know that's sort of yeah. a recurring theme for us. It's like, well, we like working behind the scenes. I don't necessarily want to be in the middle yeah. of the stage. But, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, me taking different roles in and of itself could hopefully be inspiring to women. Um, mm-hmm.
0: I feel I feel yeah.
1: awkward saying that, like, I'm inspirational, but uh, – <laughs> So inspirational, Julie has So much inspiration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, with all my inappropriate jokes sometimes. And, uh, yeah, but also like, you know, it's like, I like to think that the things that the way that we work on things are, are ways to build at the foundation of it. So Mm -hmm. a lot of things are problematic because of that very apex of, of what we do in coffee. And so what can we do at the base of it to make it better or make it more accessible? And so I like to think that, you know, what we do sort of does help make things easier. You know, it it sounds silly, but like, right? Like, it's a bad, it's a bad example, but like making a competition run on time means that we can actually accommodate all of the competitors. And so, you know, that doesn't ultimately solve the problem of, hey, how do we get more females to sign up? But Mm -hmm. hey, that means that I can, we can accommodate 50 competitors as opposed to like, if shit never ran on time, then we can only get five people in and the five people who probably rise to the top are the, the no knowns and stuff too. So
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. Like competition in particular, obviously has been pretty massive. um, Recently, this in the discussion of gender and stuff like that. And it's funny to me because the, the sort of, response that sometimes people you know so that if the statement is made like why aren't there more women competing or you know maybe the, the competition is not created in a way that is friendly to encourage women to compete or you know statements statements such as that, is that the, the usual sort of response that we see from certain people is okay but yeah but they're the ones who are running the behind the scenes um yeah as if that is equal to competing or or you know, sort of winning the competition. And that, that's a weird situation for me to be in because yeah. I don't think I would ever compete. Yeah. Like I've thought about it. And I remember a Colin trying to talk me into it at one point And I just sat there and thought like, I don't, I don't even know what I would wear. And that seems like a silly thing to think, yeah, but important. I think about the, the presentation of gender. And I was thinking about sort of the fact that like, yeah, it's been mostly, you know, it, it has, there's only been ever been male champions. Like what I need to present sort of, Soft butch gen. Would I need to, yeah. to sort of man myself up in my appearance or my mannerisms if I wanted to score the same way? And maybe that's kind of a silly question. Or or would I be scored down if I presented an ultra femme version of myself? And it yeah. I don't know. It it's, it seems like a silly thing to think about and to spend your time like to that for that to be the reason why you inevitably don't compete. But for me, that's actually been what it has come down to. It's like that's not a space I wanna put myself into. Like I criticize myself all the time. The last thing I want to do is get criticism from other people for inadvertently representing all of women by being a competitor because that's kind of what happens too. But then also by sort of representing myself a certain way and having that be read differently to how I intend or whatever. And that just becomes a stressful situation for me. I just don't even want to deal with.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like how, how it's for being criticized for choosing how you're going to perform yourself. When you're like, yes. and, and that's like, that doesn't encapsulate me or all women in, in 15 minutes and eight minutes and 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, well, oh man, I'm going to go. Fine. Um, <laughs>
0: Sorry. I didn't mean to push you into the corner.
1: <laughs> no, no, have. no. I mean, obviously. <laughs> and and I, was, I was talking about this with someone outside of coffee yesterday. Uh, and if anything, the way that I see it with competition in particular, which also I'm like, Uh, I don't want to talk about just about competition because I don't think that's the end-all be-all of where we have the ability to impact. But at the same time, you know, we talked about it. And for world competitions, there are, what, six world competitions now? Mm -hmm. And we have have had female champions for latte art twice Mm -hmm. and uh, world cup tasters once. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen, I think, women be successful into the final rounds for Brewers' Cup and stuff too. And it's telling to me because in cup tasters, women, you don't talk. You are just, just yes. there to demonstrate your ability. And there's no one evaluating you. It's it's your ability to pick out the odd cup out of your eight, eight triangles. In latte mm-hmm. art, there's actual a fair amount of emphasis on like you don't have to talk like you don't have to make small talk to the judges about how great it is and what coffee blend you're using and stuff too it's like you just have to actually be able to execute um you know beautiful latte art designs and stuff and we have women (laughs) champions and even brewer's cup where i would say that most of the the score sheet is geared towards taste it's not about performance and not towards performance yeah Yeah. so it's like and so then you're like women actually do well there and it's interesting that in in barista competition you know we we've designed the rules to be you you need to give flavor descriptors which is a move towards objectivity so that we're Mm -hmm. like oh I taste peach because you told me that it should taste like peach rather than like I didn't I don't know this coffee tastes like coffee but at the same time if you look at how you know, you perform gender and, and, like, how men and women are perceived, women are always perceived less well than men. Like, men are always seen as, like, assertive and authoritative and and whatever, regardless of their intentionality, mm-hmm. of their choice of words or whatever, they're just, you're more likely to agree with a man than you are with a woman. And I was like, so the fact almost, like, the rules themselves are, and, and what we're asking baristas to do are, is inherently skewed against women, so... Yeah. It's your job, Jen, because you're on the committee. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I like I think I think there's lots of stuff that are that are sort of happening to, to make a difference there and obviously can't really talk about them. But it's it, it's also like like you said, competition is not the only place where we can make that difference. And likewise, so I also find it really interesting that somebody recently came up to me and they said, So okay. Tell me, Jen, you're the one who usually reads all of the shit on the internet, like (laughs) that everyone is saying, because that's what you do is like, is anyone like everyone is talking about gender right now, but is anyone talking about ableism? Is anybody talking Mm -hmm. about ageism? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I think I'm sure that like some people feel like that's inherent in the discussion about sexism or feminism, but like, that's another thing that our industry, our industry is growing up, like. Um, and these are things that we should also be talking about or should be given just as much uh, sort of attention as this idea of gender and coffee and the importance of that um, like I, I see IWCA but I don't see yeah. anybody you know sort of supporting disabled people in coffee yeah. or you know and, and it's and in that case like I find it I think that's one of the other reasons why I tend not to contribute as much to that discussion sort of on paper or in Facebook posts if you will or medium or whatever is because like, it, it just... You're essentializing
1: gender. You're like, I'm, I'm yeah, essentializing, yeah. like, I'm bringing us to the top when there are so many different topics. Like, to me, there's also just a huge, like, class issue. Uh, yeah. You know? So, I, I don't know. Um. So, I like to think, and, and you know, to push back a little bit on your, your previous statement about how, like, I don't think people also enough give enough credit to those working behind the scenes, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about judges or um the competition organizers and you know this is a little this feels a little self-serving because we both come from this background of like we were the behind yeah. the scenes but you know you look at someone like Cindy Ludvigson and she has been a force in getting competitions just happening for like yes almost a decade over a decade now um people so mm-hmm. hate me for saying that just like don't say that long but um uh, <laughs> You know, she started out helping counterculture run a regional. And then, you know, she bumped over and started running WBC. And from there, she's taken one competition. And now she runs six and makes them happen across the world. And and she has a team of predominantly women behind her who are running, making things run smoothly. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, why are you giving props to Cindy? And the fact that women are actually making your competitions happen as well, too. And it's super powerful that we had... WBC in Colombia, you know, the first time ever outside of the United States and Europe. Yeah. Was, we brought it to Australia and it was just, you know, the championships just ha- wrapped up in Shanghai. And you're like, that's, that, that goes a long way. And she's the one, you know, she and Laura Lee and, you know, Amy Ball are the one negotiating behind the scenes, making these things happen. And I think that's also very powerful. Yeah. The fact that you're like, oh, you want to host a competition, a world, the world championships, you have to talk to this woman. And she's pretty badass.
0: And that's the thing. So it's, I agree. And I think you've articulated that really well. I think that's what I was kind of trying to say is that like, we just don't give, and like you said, it's a little bit weird saying that coming from that position of being behind the scenes all the time. But like, those people don't get the same kind of credit that the, let's say, I always joke about like the difference between show ponies and workhorses. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) like, the show ponies get a lot of recognition and kudos for what they do. And like Cindy gets some and she's, you know, but I don't think she gets nearly enough for the amount, for what she's done to contribute to coffee yeah. um, or to contribute to sort of the growth of coffee as we've seen it over the, or people like Sony Bjork-Grant who, oh, yeah. you know, sort of worked in competition way, way early when it first became a thing. And like these are, these are things that people constantly pull out when they're defending why women aren't competing. Yeah. But it's like that's that's a separate issue altogether. I feel like and and like that's a, that ha- carries entirely different weight to it. And it, I don't know. It's just it, it's an interesting thing that that's usually what gets pulled out. Yeah, Sonia um,
1: and like Sonia actually used to ride horses. By the way, just
0: yeah, to play into your <laughs>
1: analogy. But uh, yeah, she goes. She doesn't say she, like she doesn't say no, but she like goes everywhere. She's such a great emissary mm-hmm. and um, what Rukia mm-hmm. like. Rookie goes yeah, and, and Rookie's just like varies. Like, talk about someone who flies into the radar even more. It's like Rookie will be there and she'll work her butt off and like I don't know. So there's yeah. so many there's so many women at the same time. Which there's so many women. There's not enough women. But I also just want to make sure to me that I was like, I want to give props to all the amazing women. Yeah. They are doing some great work. They're just amazing people, you know, it's like
0: yeah, let's not even call them out as well. The amazing organizers, the amazing people who make shit happen.
1: Yeah. How many yeah. how many people do we know who just yeah, keep it together?
0: <sighs> well, that was a that was an action packed hour, I'd say. We got through a lot of stuff. <laughs> more than I thought we were gonna get through. I know. Um Julie, thank you so much for, for coming on. I was, I was saying to Julie before we hopped on to like officially record, like this is something I've wanted to do for a long time and I was actually hoping that we could sort of expand it a little bit and wait a few weeks and then of course with... Um steve's absolute mishap <laughs> of his laptop exploding it became a let's do this now and let's have this this come out on monday so thank you for for jumping in at sort of like the last minute but also for being awesome and for doing all the work that you do because honestly like i don't think i would be in coffee where i am today without you and i think there's a lot of people who um no. it's not, oh a debt of gratitude no, no no i i think that's absolutely true like but i i think you've You've, uh, as much as I hesitate to say, touched a lot of people, <laughs> um, like you've been a part of a lot of people's coffee sort of growth and um, experience. And I think that's really cool. And thanks. Oh,
1: thanks. Thank you for thinking of me and twisting my arm and, <laughs> and really doing all the heavy lifting at Temper Tantrum, let's be honest. Uh
0: <laughs> Oh, mm-hmm. well, we'll get there one day. One day I will stage the ultimate hostile takeover and like there will be no, Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to say there will be no more podcasts with Steve and Colin because then we'll like lose all of our listenership because really they come for the guys. They don't come for me, but um like yeah, it's no. like one day we will we will have some some more fun stuff. In fact, like I like I really love that idea you have about like getting all the stage managers on the line and just talking about all of the shit that has gone horribly wrong behind the scenes. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so it's like, maybe we'll make that happen
1: soon. If, if you like Jen's hostile takeover this week, you know, like us on Facebook. <laughs> Reply in the comments. Let's
0: see if we can get Thanks, 500 Julie.
1: people to retweet this. <laughs>
0: If you want to push that, I, um, okay.
1: I think, I think, I think we'll leave it there. It's on. Except Mm. everyone's like, we no one made it this far in the podcast. No. (laughs) Everyone's,
0: everyone's dropped out about two minutes in when they realized that Steve wasn't Uh, here. Oh, man. (laughs)
1: There's no shenanigans.
0: (laughs) No shenanigans.
1: Well, thank you. Oh, wow.
0: Uh, thanks so much, Julie, and I'm I'm sure listenership. There will be some shenanigans next week, so yeah, come back. Awesome. I promise.
1: Awesome.